everyone. Welcome to episode nine of The Book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. And I'm excited to be here today talking to you, Chris, the day before your big birthday. (laughs) So happy early birthday. I guess when people are listening to this episode, you will already have turned a new age. I will. Yes. Yes. But you're excited about your day tomorrow and I'm excited for you. Thank you. Um, We have a lot to talk about today, but I wanted to start with a little follow-up from episode eight, um, where we got a lovely shout-out from the Two Knit Lit Chicks podcast, which Mm -hmm. we talked about. And we talked about how it was kind of a foreign language, some of the things they talked about. And three different people have followed up with us um, to let us know what knitted knockers are. Yeah, which are awesome. Yeah, they're awesome. They're prosthetic breasts, essentially, you know, that people can knit. They even have little nipples on them, and they're for um, women who've had mastectomies. Mm -hmm. So it's a lovely thing, and I just thought we should follow up on that. And I think it's particularly lovely that um, there are free patterns online. So I'll actually put a link that I think Jana sent us that, um, you know, is a free pattern. And I know that I actually hear this complaint from some of my knitting friends that they knit, but they don't always have something to knit, you know, or their friends are sick of their socks or whatever, which I can't imagine anyone who wants to send me a pair of (laughs) homemade knitted socks, feel free. But, um, you know, so I think it would be a fun thing to be involved with, you know, kind of as a volunteer knitter to, to knit these and send them to different places. Absolutely. Yeah. They said somebody had mentioned that hospitals can't keep them in stock enough to to give out to patients. And I guess some women use them between uh, the mastectomy and reconstructive surgery, Or probably forever if they choose not to have the reconstructive surgery. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So lovely thing. What a great thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you to Jana and Kathleen. And then um, I'm calling her our roving researcher, also (laughs) known as Aunt Ellen, (laughs) who also filled me in on what knitted knockers are. Great things. And then the other follow-up I have is um, I talked about Britt Bennett, the author of The Mothers. You know, I, I raved about her book. But I also talked about the essay she wrote called I Don't Know What to Do with Good White People. And I talked about it before I read it, which is always a mistake. <laughs> so it was actually her response to um, the violence against African-American um, men, particularly, who were had been shot by... Um, police officers. So that's what the essay is about. So I I don't want to talk any further about that. I put a link to that essay in episode eight show notes. Um, I highly recommend you go read it. It's just that I had, you know, completely misrepresented it when Mm -hmm. I talked about it on episode eight. So thanks for clearing that up. Yeah. Yeah. And then I also have a complaint. (gasps) Uh Oh, I know I just need to get it off my chest and then I don't have to talk about it anymore. I know I have mentioned that I miss the pretty much one of the only things I miss about Ohio, (laughs) other than my friends, of course, is um, the library system there was fantastic. And the library system here in Connecticut, since I've moved here, which is just a year and a half, they've had some serious budget cuts. And so they've impacted it's impacted them and they've put some changes into place. And the most recent change, I don't know if you've felt this yet, just went into place two weeks ago. You can't request, you can't put more than five things on hold. Yes, yeah, that just came down. Yeah. And it did, it changed about a year ago when that's when things, they had to change the system of the interlibrary loan distribution right. system. 
Yeah. So it's it's taken a hit for sure. Yeah. And it's I feel the same way coming from, you know, Chicago land, which has a great library system. Illinois has a couple different library systems that all worked really well together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Connecticut's hitting some hard times budget-wise. Yeah. So that's really, you know, as an avid reader, I was talking to a, a librarian at the Stony Creek Library the other day, and she was like, I know, we hate it too, yeah. you know. And books take forever to get yeah. out. You know, yeah. I had one that said in transit for like three weeks. Yeah, yeah. And another yeah. one that finally just got listed as lost. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Missing, Did we lose it? Or? Yeah. yeah. So it's like, well, okay, I'm taking yeah. that one off my list yeah. because I don't yeah. want it to take, one take of up your one five. of my five slots. I yeah. know. I mean, if this is the worst of my complaints in life, I really don't have much to complain about, but yeah. I just thought I would talk about it just yeah. because it was upsetting to me. It but, is. It is upsetting. Yeah. And you think about people who really rely on that library service to get what they need for mm-hmm. research or for their kids. Mm-hmm. And now they're, you know, they may be having to spend money and, and time that they don't have right. going to other libraries to pick things up yeah. and, no, it's and true. whatnot. So it's, it's, yeah. it's something, the library is not something to take for granted. No. For sure. Yeah. Donate to your local library. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So end of complaints. No more complaining. Shall we move on to what we've just read? Sure. All right. I, um, well, I read one book since we last met. Is that true? Yes. I read... <laughs> <laughs> I'm currently reading... Well, I won't talk about that. Let me back up. So I just read The Other F Word by Natasha Friend, which we'll talk a little bit about the event we attended with her. Um, The Other F Word, I was drawn to this book because of its cover. And I don't remember where I saw it uh, first advertised. It just came out this last Tuesday. So what was that, March 6th or something? Yes. Um, So it's a brand new book. It's a young adult book. And it is about kids who were conceived in ver- in vitro fertilization, uh, test tube babies, as right. we called them in the 90s. And the description of the book talked about these two different kids who have lesbian moms, and they share the same sperm donor, and how they come together, and then how they find some other half-siblings. And from the description, my, my trigger bells went off, because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, as a lesbian, I've read too many books with really bad scenes and well-meaning writers who just recreate the wheel of homophobia or present things in such a heteronormative way that it's like, oh, I don't want anybody to read that book. (laughs) Uh, Not that I'm into censorship, but um, I do think when it comes to representations of life for kids and teens, I think, you know, it's good to have people who are compassionate towards their subject and and try and look at things from a variety of ways right put it that way so anyway the book is lovely i so enjoyed it i did it was a a review copy that i got through netgalley um and i know according to the ftc when you have a review copy of anything you're supposed to mention that okay so people don't think oh you're got the you got this book for free or you got that phone for free and you're talking about it in good terms only because you got it for free okay so you are supposed to let people know when you get a review copy of something and i always tell people too if i get if i accept your review copy i will write an honest review and if i don't finish your book i'm not going to write a review okay because i like to be upfront about that yeah anyway long story short it's a great read i enjoyed how friend described what the kids are going through and the variety of issues that they have from being 
kids conceived in that fashion, as well as just regular teenage issues that mm-hmm. all kids go right. through. But she also presented some of the parents' struggles, the lesbian mom struggles, uh, one of the dads, one of the non-biological fathers, the struggles he had with his son wanting to find the sperm donor. She doesn't spend a lot of time on the parents, but the way she weaves it in, it's pretty effortless. I mean, she packs a lot of information into this relatively short young adult novel but she does it in such a graceful way that you never feel like she's driving any certain point home. Um, and in the long run or in the end, it, so much of everything comes down to we're teens and parents, they just don't get us. Yeah. No matter what your situation <laughs> yeah. as a teen. Yeah. Uh, and, and one of the kids in the book, it's the best friend. Uh, the two kids who are featured, it's Milo and Hollis, a boy and a girl. And so the story alternates between the two of them for the most part. But Milo's best friend, J.J., he's an adopted kid. And, and in some ways, his story is the saddest of them all because mm-hmm. he has parents who are not very present and has no idea of his, of his biological parents whatsoever. Um, and that's something that Natasha Friend mentioned in her event is the difference between kids born in vitro fertilization versus adopted kids and what the similarities and differences can be. Right. And, and every situation is different, right. obviously, depending on the agency that the sperm came through or the child came through and then what the parents, the biological parents agree to and what the non-biological parents are willing to tell their child. Right. So I thought yeah. it was just a great read and, and very, very honest portrayal of, of what a lot of people go to. And I, I haven't had experience personally with adoption or sperm donation, but I have several friends who dealt with it as either being a child themselves or now as parents. Right. And, and from yeah. all the stories that they had to share with me over the years of just talking with friends, a uh, friend, friend, Natasha yeah. friend, the author, <laughs> I thought just did a really wonderful job. Yeah, yeah. Great. Well, I look forward, we'll talk more about her, too, when we get to the our Biblio Adventures, because yes. that, that was a joint jaunt for us. So we'll talk about that more. Well, I did a lot of reading, so I guess I have to talk for All a little right, bit talk. now. So I read Kindred by Octavia Butler, which I misrepresented this one in episode eight as well, when I talked about um, the publication date. It was actually published in 1979. Mm-hmm. So I know you and I had a, a little off recording chat what do we call that um uh, a, a private private, <laughs> private chat. <laughs> a private chat uh, off recording um, about what what um constitutes um a classic i'm like totally blanking on words Uh oh um yeah and, and i think that i would call this a classic i mean it was written so long ago and also one of the interesting things about octavia butler um, is that she, not only is she an African-American, she's a woman and she was writing sci-fi, you know, back in 1979, which mm-hmm. was really unusual. She won a MacArthur Fellowship in 1995 and she was the first science fiction writer to do so. So oh, that's kind cool. of cool. Yeah. And um, this book is about Dana, who's a married woman. She's married to a man named Kevin and they're living in um, 1976 and you have to suspend disbelief when you're reading this book, which is one of my issues sometimes with science fiction. So she gets pulled back in time to Antebellum South to a character named Rufus. When he's in trouble, she somehow gets pulled back in time and kind of helps 
rescue him, mm-hmm. and it turns out that he is an ancestor of hers, oh. and he's also the son of a pretty mean slaveholder. And so it's she's African-American, so she gets pulled back in time, but she's, you know, now she's... In, oh, her husband, Kevin, is white, which is an important detail. Okay. So not only is she getting pulled back in time to a time where she would have been a slave, but, you know, she's this woman living in a an interracial marriage in the present day that she lives in. So there's a lot of violence, a lot of violence, when she's back in the antebellum South, and that part was really hard for me to stomach. Mm-hmm. So I had to do two things when I was reading it. I mean, first of all, I didn't enjoy picking it up, not because she's not a great writer and the story was very provocative, but it just was not pleasant to read, yeah. you know. Um, so that part was really hard for me. Um, but you had to suspend your belief because it's, you know, it wouldn't really happen, yeah. you know, what was happening. But the reason she did it was to get this woman back in time who understood that, you know, things were going to change and that if if this young boy didn't survive, part of the premise of the story is if this young boy didn't survive, she wouldn't come to be because he's one of her right. ancestors. Yeah. So. Oh. So so it's um okay. it's interesting that way. Yeah. Um, so, in terms of the violence, mm-hmm. how did it compare to the violence in Colson Whitehead's The Underground Railroad? There was, was it was similar. Yeah. I mean, in you know beating of slaves and things like that. It was there was more in Kindred. Was more? Yeah, okay. it was very violent. And then she would go back. She would get pulled back to 1976, beaten up. You know. Wow. Or you know, yeah. yeah. So that part yeah. was pretty. And, oh, the other thing that would happen is, you know, months would have gone by that she was living in, in Antebellum South, but she would have been gone for like an hour mm-hmm. from present day. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting, too. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm glad that I read it. It's a book I've known about forever, but mm-hmm. I won't say that I enjoyed the, reading the violent part of it. You yeah. know, for I have a hard time with that, as I've mentioned in the past. So another interesting thing is the book Kindred just came out as a graphic novel in January of 2017. So for those of you who might be interested in the story but want a, you know, different way to look at it and to, you know, maybe it's you're looking at violence instead of reading about violence, I don't know, that might have a different feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you might check that out. I know um, I've heard a couple people talk about it now and say it, it was very well done. So Good to know. So Kindred by Octavia Butler. Um, and then I also listened to a book, You'll Grow Out of It, by Jesse Klein, who's a comedian that writes for Amy Schumer. Mm. It was um, similar to Amy Schumer's book in that it's, you know, essays about her life and random things about her life. The reason it's called You'll Grow Out of It is because she was um, very much a tomboy growing up. And she realized that, you know, nobody calls grown women tom men. (laughs) At some point, you have to grow out of it, you know. But um, talked about how, you know, some of the female, classic female things, you know, of wanting to dress up and be frilly and things like that, which she was never interested in. But Mm -hmm. she's very funny. Um, So she has riffs on dating and marriage and um, giving birth to her son. And, you know, there's one one essay that's all about get the epidural, <laughs> which is very funny. So um, so I enjoyed it. It was a light listen, and I think it was about six hours, and she narrates it. So um, it was good. And um, I read News of the World by Paulette Giles. It takes place in 1870. The main character is Captain Kidd, whose job it is to read newspapers. 
he goes around and um, posts his, you know, he, go, he, he, dry, he goes around by horse mm-hmm. and posts his little um, notices about what he's, you know, that he's going to be at such and such location reading um, the newspapers that he has in, in hand. And um, he runs into a character, Joanna, who is a 10-year-old little white girl who's, who had been captured when she was six by the Kiowa Indian tribe some members of the Kiowa Indian tribe and was held captive and then um, found and he was given money to take her back to her family so they have to traverse Texas and you know gunfights ensue and things like that and uh, a lot of what the book is about is the psychology of these young kids who were captive um, many of them once returned to their families wanted to go back to yeah. their lives, yeah. um, which to me showed that part of it was that they identified with the Native American way of life, you know, living off the land, but also just how kids are very um, adaptable and they learn to live with whatever situations that they're put in, mm-hmm. you know. And they fall in love with people that they're around. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember a, there's a, a woman in the 19th century who was, I don't remember her name or the tribe, but it was in Oatman, Arizona. And they that tribe tattooed mm. women's faces and she was tattooed. And so the, you know, white folk of the 19th century were all over that. But I think mm. she was a, a woman who wanted to go back. Because mm. I, I, I'm not sure if she married and had kids, mm-hmm. but that, yeah, yeah. It, it was like a thing in the 19th century that yeah. you certainly don't learn about in school. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I love this book. I mean, the book itself is very small, and I, I read it in three sittings. She handles dialogue very interestingly. There's no quotation marks. It just kind of flows, and I realized that I love that. I mean, yeah. it's, so it's very plot-driven, mm-hmm. you know, and so, I mean, there, when I'm reading a book and there's, you know, he said, she said, she turned her head and said, you know, <laughs> I skip a lot of that, and I didn't realize that. I was reading this book. I'm like, oh, this is so lovely. She's just telling the story, you yeah. know. So um, I highly recommend it, News of the World by Paulette Giles. So that's kind of like straight fiction. It's, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. It was really good. And is, when did that one come out? That one that came out one last or? year, okay. and it was um, it was a National Book Award finalist. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Cool. And then the the last book I read since I since we spoke last was the Most Dangerous Place on Earth by Lindsay Lee Johnson. Um, I don't know how I got this book. It arrived, you know, waiting for me at the library. So I I don't know if I read it in the New York Times book review or if someone mentioned it to me. I have a one word <laughs> review for it, which is blech. <laughs> Not because she's not a good writer. I mean, it was an. She's a great writer. It takes place in the ages of middle school to high school. So right there, that's blech to yeah. me because who wants to go back to that time? Not me. <laughs> no, and it's about bullying and um, it, it takes place at Mount um, Tamalpais. I think that's how you say that. A lot of people just call it Mount Tam in um, Marin County, California, mm. which is known to be a very wealthy high school now, you know. And um, it's about, you know, a character that's too beautiful and she gets tons of attention from men that she doesn't solicit. Um, a kid who's trying to get a good SAT score so he can go to Berkeley so he pays another kid to take his SAT for him. It's about drugs, teachers having sex with students. Wow. Um, 
wealthy students. It, it was just, it was every parent's worst nightmare to read. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's so ironic because I was just in Colorado um, a couple of weeks ago visiting my children and uh, with my brothers and a cousin who has a two-year-old. And at one point at dinner, we were talking about the teenage years. And I just turned to my cousin who, who has this two-year-old and I said, I'm so sorry that you have to go through that. You know, I mean... I'm so relieved to be through that with my kids and, um, you know, that they're both doing well and all that. So reading this book, yeah, I was just like, oh, every person, parent's worst nightmare. So, so you read the whole thing though. I did. I kept wanting to put it down and I just thought, just, just read it, you know, just. For sure, you know, for me, it's really hard to not finish a book. Okay. A miscommitment? I, what, I mean, what that's interesting. Well, you don't want to commit to the list of like. But I'm say, an upholder. So you, when you start something, you have you to finish. finish it. Okay, yeah. I get yeah. that. And then up, so the upholder thing that's Gretchen Rubin, yeah. her four right, her four yeah. tendencies Just that so we talk about. People a lot. know what yeah. we're talking about. Yeah, and Gretchen Rubin has a new book coming out, mm. kind of soon about those four tendencies and how to best work with them. She does. For yourself, yeah. yeah. We should we should talk about that when it comes out because mm-hmm. we talk about it all the time. Yeah. And, um, I've learned a lot about myself. I mean, the other ironic thing to me is, you know, when I finish a book, lots of times I don't remember. Mm-hmm. I mean, I if I read about like a little bit about it, then it'll come back to my memory about reading about it. But a book that I don't finish. Mm-hmm. I remember everything about it, right. which drives me crazy, which I think is why I, like with this one, it's like, I refuse not to finish this because I don't want this one to haunt me, yeah. you know, for the rest of my life. Yeah. So, yeah. So The Most Dangerous Place on Earth, Lindsay Lee Johnson. If you have teenagers right now, maybe you'd want to read it because it would scare the shit out of you. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think if I had yeah. teenage Teenage kids, I I don't know what I would read. Probably yeah. not something like that. You would meditate a lot. <sighs> yeah. It's yeah. a lot of waiting and wondering when you have teenagers. Yeah, I remember at one point thinking like, well, okay, so I didn't grow up wanting to have kids. I, it mm-hmm. wasn't in my uh, on my radar or something. But I remember thinking like how horrifying it would be when your child gets their driver's license. Because oh. yeah. I know what I behave like when I first got my yeah. driver's license well my kids were the ages I mean they're 23 almost 23 Jacob will be 23 in April they're 22 and 25 and so they were just like cell phones were just kind mm-hmm. of coming out right around when Rachel learned to drive mm-hmm. so I had very strict rules about you know no no cell phone use and driving well I vividly remember when one of her girlfriends pulls up in front of my house and she's on the phone you know, driving. So mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I can tell my kids not to drive and talk on the phone, but I can't tell the kids they're getting in the car with not to do that. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. And there's a car accident in this book, you know, and I had um, two different sets of friends die in car accidents when I was a teenager. Wow. So, you know, so that was serious stuff to me when I would talk to my kids about it. It was real. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Scary. So, anyway. currently reading currently reading i am into sense and sensibility jane austen enjoying that very much and i'm also reading a book called raising wild dispatches from a home in the wilderness by michael branch and i know michael branch he was one of my advisors when i was in grad school and and this is about 
his experience uh, living out in the wilds near Reno and raising two daughters. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really cool because when I knew Mike, uh, when I was at the University of Nevada, he wasn't married. I know the woman he married and, and they have these two wonderful children. It's a memoir-ish type book, nature mm. writing. It starts with his, are they on their honeymoon? I think that, no, they're not necessarily on their honeymoon at the beginning of it, but they're on a camping trip and the conversation starts with, hey, what do you think about having a kid? So that kind of starts the book off. Yeah, and I'm enjoying it very much. I'm not even halfway into it yet, but he talks a lot about the, the landscape of his homestead and the prong, pronghorn? I can't think of that. Longhorn? Not longhorn. They're pronghorn, some type of like they're they're not exactly antelope. They're not exactly deer. Mm. Um, but so he talks about the nature. He t- I mean he names mm. so many plants and and just talking about the beauty of the mountain range mm. in that area. So, uh, but really, what's really fascinating to me is that when I was in graduate school at the time, there was such an argument about a big movement to incorporate more women and minorities into the canon. And Mike, his background is pre-20th century nature writers, which for the most part, those that were published in circulation, at least at that time, were men. Mm. So it was a very male-dominated field. And, and the whole American tradition of nature writing and the great outdoors has been a male domain for the most part. And he addresses that in the mm. book. And so here he is coming from that tradition, that very masculine male tradition, with two daughters and how is he raising them in the wilderness when they, that's what they know, these girls. Right. They don't know the tradition that's that's back there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's fascinating. I, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does with it. Uh, so again, that's Raising Wild, Dispatches from a Home in the Wilderness by Michael Branch. And that just came out within the last couple months. So that it's sounds a really good. Book. Yeah. I'm currently reading Lillian Boxfish Takes a Walk oh, cool. by Kathleen Rooney. Um, I signed up to go to Booktopia. Woo-hoo! Yeah. Booktober's so, at Booktopia. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so uh, my upholder self, again, referring to Gretchen Rubin's tendencies, <laughs> I was like, oh, God. And they just added a new author, so there are nine, nine books nine. to read. So this is first of the my first of the nine. Um, and I literally just started it last night, so um, I didn't get very far. But you had already, I think, texted me or emailed me that in the front of the book, there's a walking a map, map of yeah. New York, of Manhattan, because mm-hmm. the book is about a woman um, who is, she's in, in her late 80s, I think, and she has a walk that she does. Mm-hmm. And so Chris emailed it to me and said, oh, I think the book cougars need to go to New York and take a walk. <laughs> so so I'm anxious to read it. I love books that take place in New York City because, you know, I love New York City. So um, so that's what I'm currently reading. Lillian Bachfish Takes a Walk by Kathleen Rooney. Awesome. I just picked up that one from the library. It came in. And also her book, Oh, Democracy, that mm. one also came in too. I'd like to read both of those yeah. before Booktopia if possible. You um, go, girl. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. You know how I am. My rebel tendency. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so, Biblio Adventures. I um, I went to the Guilford Library. Well, we had a joint jaunt to the Guilford Library, but I think I went uh, earlier than our joint jaunt. I went to see Peter Werner 
who's a renowned architect who lives right here in Brantford, which is the town next door to us. And he was there talking about his new book, Odyssey, 50 Years of Travel Drawings and Memories. He's in his, I want to say late 70s, and um, he's been traveling since he was 15 years old. And so he had this really cool slideshow that he showed us. And what he does when he's traveling is he just, he does sketches and he journals and he would send his sketches to people. And at one point, someone said, you know, you should make these into a book. Mm-hmm. Because each of the s- sketches has a story behind it. So he didn't show us all, all of them, obviously. But he started with this cute sketch of a Volkswagen bug, you know, the old beetle, um, which my aunt and uncle had one that they had gotten from Germany. And this looked exactly like that. But it was his sketch of it. And he said he got it and... Um, spent a year traveling around Europe in it, and he had taken a year off from Yale. He went to Yale, and he said at that time you could go to Yale for $1,500 a year, which is shocking to me. Yeah. Um, so he took a year off, and one of his uncles, I think, gave him something around 1500 and he traveled for a year in Europe with that. Nice. So he, a lot of his sketches are from, he's been to Cuba, he's been to Lebanon, Syria. I mean, he's been everywhere. And so he would show this incredible little sketch and tell the story behind it. So it was a really cool evening. It was packed because he's well-known. Yeah. And one of the cool things about it, I thought, was that he was, he had stacks of books. He also has another book which I couldn't find the title of that came out last year, which I think is maybe pictures of his homes that are around New England. But um, all of the books that he sold that night, he was giving the money to the library, that's which great. I thought was really cool. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was a fun evening. Cool. Yeah, and then the, the, yeah, the joint jaunt we did at our local library, uh, we saw Christine Woodside, who is also a local writer. She lives in Deep River, mm-hmm. I believe which is just a little bit north of us. And she wrote the book called Libertarians on the Prairie, which was about Laura Ingalls Wilder and her daughter Rose Wilder and the writing of the little house books, right. which was really fascinating. A fascinating talk. Great. Yeah, she was really great. She had a slideshow as mm-hmm. well and, and did a wonderful walk through those slides mm-hmm. and the relationship between Laura and Rose. Mm-hmm. And what was fascinating to me about that night, well, first of all, she's walked the entire Appalachian Trail Mm -hmm. in one season. In one season. Which which is is impressive. Mm -hmm. So she's a badass, let's be clear. (laughs) But also, um, to me, it's fascinating when someone is so interested in one subject, and they just are so interested that they kind of devote their life to it. Yeah, she talked about from being a young girl getting hooked on the books and exploring more, and she's visited all of the, the homesteads and sites yeah, so that was really cool. Family, yeah, and I can't remember. I feel like I never read the books. I definitely was a huge, avid watcher of the show. Mm-hmm. So at the end, she took questions, and I desperately wanted to ask her about Nellie, the mean girl. Yeah, Nellie. Yeah, <laughs> but story, I didn't. Yeah. I, oh, I, I meant I, to ask Laura about that because Laura's read the books okay. and was an avid viewer as well. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever read the books. Mm-hmm. I would like yeah. to though. I, yeah. One of my friends. Um, she read the, well, it was one of my college roommates, Huang. She read them every year, mm. every summer. That would be her yeah. reading to reread the series. Huh. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. The whole series? Yeah. Wow, that's a commitment. Yeah, that's her thing, yeah. It was a fun evening, and that was well attended as well. It was, yeah. yeah. That was a great evening. And one of the things I didn't know, and I'm always fascinated by finding out, you know, Rose Wilder was a hugely successful, popular writer in her mm-hmm. day. 
you know, and, and I didn't know that. Yeah. You don't hear about that. And, uh, you know, I know in the 19th century, too, it wasn't, you know, Hawthorne and Melville weren't popular writers. It was mm-hmm. usually the women writers who were writing the blockbusters right. and popular in their day. So to find out about Rose, I, I want to track down one of her books and give them a try. Yeah, because yeah, that was the other thing is that Rose, I mean, she implied that Laura wasn't the wasn't a great writer, maybe? Mm-hmm. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that she, she had a lot of great stories to mm-hmm. tell, but wasn't a, a really smooth writer. Right, so Rose would get the, get the material and kind of, you know, fix it, yeah. so to say. Well, right, and fix it and take out the hardship parts. Like, Laura would write how it really was, and that it wasn't all, you know, three little cute girls right. walking down the, you know, hill. <laughs> right, right. Running down the hill in yeah. clean dresses. You yeah. Know, they... It was a really hard time living in the dirt and living in dugouts. Right, with no power. With no power yeah. and, and just the challenges with that. And so the whole libertarian mm-hmm. issue was Rose's politics coming in and taking out those not-so-pleasant realities mm-hmm. and making it look like this is what America comes from, this beautiful past where everything was wonderful. Right, yeah. And she did become very political, mm-hmm. right? And her yeah. and the, So the money's from... The books, and the royalties, up, right? Yeah. So yeah, so the royalties. When Laura died, all the royalties went to Rose, mm-hmm. and then Rose, and her will left them to the man. I can't remember his name. Yeah. Who was, who was her editor, but also very, uh, much a, f- a founder of the modern libertarian party. So he had all that money, and then his adopted daughter, now has all the royalties and apparently she's very apolitical right and um christine is trying to to interview her right but so far the lawyer is saying no she's she's not interested at this time right but that's a neat thing too with christine the the writer of the book you know still trying to talk with these people and oh that's another thing too the guy whoever it was who received the royalties the libertarian man who actually ran for president a couple once times of, yeah, I think. yeah got something like two or four percent of the vote yeah um he had a go he hired a ghostwriter to write the series the second series that was more about rose's childhood and that ghostwriter is somebody who cannot be named at this point uh, but another thing christine would like to do is interview him in a public way, because so much of the knowledge he has is really important literary history about how things came to be. Because for the longest time, they didn't know that Rose was a co-author. She right. Was not mentioned right. as a co-author. Some of her research is what helped discover actually that Rose was a co-author. A co-author. Because right. she found journals and things yeah, like that. Yeah, journals yeah. and letters and whatnot. Right. And they're really, I, I think there's what just like two or three key letters or interviews where people say that Rose was actually the one. Or Rose, Rose's diary. She had this cool diary. That's yeah. a, like a five-year diary. Yeah. So one sheet of paper would be like April 21st in five rows for the different years. Right. That's such a neat I know, journal. So I've never different. heard of one like yeah. that. Yeah. I've, I've seen the annual ones, yeah. but a five-year. So in some of those categories, she'll say, you know, got the latest transcript for mom or whatever fixed it fixed it <laughs> <laughs> make america great again that's right <laughs> it was really funny i mean i know a lot of people who journal like that they just say what they did you know yeah. had tea with chris today you yeah. know like that's and so it was that kind of a journal mm-hmm. but um a lot of it was you know fixed mom's writing <laughs> you know so 
yeah, it was funny. Yeah. It, was it was really, I learned a lot yes. that night. It was a great yeah. talk. And it's, yeah. and I love that, like, because Christine obviously is so knowledgeable. Yeah. And so her, her, the information was just so conversational the way she presented it. Not conversational. We didn't have a conversation per se, but just so easy mm-hmm. the way she just talked about her subject. Right. I thought that was wonderful. Yeah. I could have sat yeah. there for another four hours. I know. It was, over, you know, the funny thing about these library programs is they start them at seven and the library closes at eight. Yeah. So at like five to eight, the authors stop talking. They're like, does anyone have questions? <laughs> you know, and then you hear the buzzer. The library will be closing in five minutes. And you're like, oh, I want to ask you about Nellie. Well, we should reach out to her. I think she's on Twitter. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah, we should ask her about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a fun evening. I enjoyed it. I could have listened to her a lot longer for sure. Absolutely, yeah. So that was Christine Woodside, Libertarians on the Prairie. Yeah. And then our other joint jaunt was to go to RJ's and hear... Natasha Freend talk about the other F word. Right. Yeah. Which yeah. you talked about as your the book you the read. The book I just read. Yeah. yeah. Great event. Oh, it was really great. it was really well attended. A lot of teens were mm-hmm. there and parents. Mm-hmm. And so she started the event by reading. Mm-hmm. The first chapter or two, and I looked at Emily at one point, like, you doing okay? <laughs> that was so yeah. funny. She's like, are you all right? Because <laughs> Emily doesn't like people reading to her. But again, and that's this is one of those things, like, the book just came out that day. Right. So right. nobody's read it. So that really gave you a flavor of the book and hopefully drew people into the characters. Yeah. yeah. And she was a good reader, she which was. makes a difference. Yeah. You know? And it was filled, she's from this area, so it was filled with people who she knew, mm-hmm. so it was a lighthearted evening, and she had, I didn't realize the book had come out, so she brought a cake, because yes. she said it was the book's birthday, <laughs> yeah. which I thought was really cute, and it was one of those cool cakes where you can get a photo kind of put on the cake, so it was the cover of the book, mm-hmm. and then I think it had squiggles that were supposed to represent sperm all well. over the cake. <laughs> That's what we decided, anyway. <laughs> they were like, like, yeah, little like celebratory, like banner type, you know, right. streamers, right. streamers. But they, they kind of like look sperm. like swimmers. <laughs> yeah, because again, yeah. the book is about sperm donation. Well, not right. about sperm donation, yeah. but sperm well, donation yeah. is central. Yeah, to the yeah. to how the characters came to be, and you know, it was interesting because I had many friends who had their children that way, where I lived and raised my children, and. I had a time where I was at the playground um, babysitting one of my friend's um, little boy, and I think he was five or younger at the time. And I don't know why this came up, but someone said to him, who's your dad? And he said, I don't have a dad. And I remember thinking, like, you you do, you know? It's just a different kind of dad, you know? So that was always kind of an issue, and I think it's an issue for these kids. And... More so, and ironically, this young boy, who's now a young man, I don't know that he found his sperm donor dad, but he did reach out and do searching and has found three siblings, mm. three boys who are now he spends time with. Yeah. So I think that um, what she said that night is a lot of times these kids do feel a little like adoption. They feel like a part of them is missing mm-hmm. that they would like to understand. And yeah. Um, and then I guess one of the characters in the book, the premise is that there's a medical issue, and so that's part of why he yeah. wants to find out about his. He has sperm really donor. severe allergies, and the doctor recommends. Well, the doctor asks about the father mm-hmm. and the father's history and. Yeah, so that leads to that. But and so that's like a good premise for him to reach out, but really he wants to know too. Right. And and Mm. I love it, you know, at one point one of the characters says, you know, it's not good, it's not bad, it just is. Right. They want to find this other person. And I think 
so often the adults, you know, we put so many judgments and different values on things that are not necessarily there. Right. You know, it's not like these kids, like that one boy uh, whose dad is not thrilled that he's wanting to seek this out. He's actually a twin. They're two twin boys. And, you know, the dad is not thrilled about it at all. And his brother isn't. Mm. But he has a desire because he's not like his brother Mm. or his father. His dad and his father are the jock types, Mm. and he is not. Mm. So, you know, talk about a missing piece. Then, you know, of course you wonder, like, well, what is my biological father like? Am I more like him Mm -hmm. or or what? Yeah, I mean, as someone who, you know, I went through a divorce, and then my ex-husband repartnered, and... You know, I think for some people that's really threatening. But to me, what I really came to is the more people who can love your children, mm-hmm. the better, yeah. you know. And his partner's family is so generous and loving to my children, you know. Mm-hmm. So I feel like the more people who are out there who care about your kids and want to love them, the better. Absolutely. But I think you have to get over that feeling of being threatened, mm-hmm. you know, by by the fact that they're not going to want to have a relationship with you anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, typically that's not the case. Yeah. You know, typically it's just that they want answers to some of these questions, you mm-hmm. know. Now, I think different than adoption, which she talked about, is that um, for a lot of kids who've been adopted, they feel like, their parent or parents rejected them. Mm-hmm. So they don't necessarily have the same desire to seek them out versus with in vitro fertilization, you know, the donation of the sperm was something that the parents, you know, out of the desire of loving each other and wanting to create a baby, they mm-hmm. seek out this sperm. So it's a little bit of a different situation, which I think, I mean, I didn't read the book, but I think she kind of yeah, talks absolutely. about that. And yeah. I, and I think that's one of the things too, is that, you know, two women or, or two men, like you can't have a baby by accident. Right. So like, you know, kids who are born from those relationships, like those are some of the most well thought out children. Right. On the planet, yeah, exactly. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, she, she addressed so many issues in the book very smoothly. Mm. She it's, was just really compelling person. Yeah. I really enjoyed listening to I her. I did too. Yeah. I bought another book of hers and then, um, Oh, I love the story of how the book came to be too. Oh yeah. She talked mm-hmm. about that and I'm glad she mentioned that because in her acknowledgements, it was the, the president of, um, the publisher who had this idea. He watched some MTV special about test tube kids mm-hmm. and babies and, He's like, wow, that would be a great book idea. Mm-hmm. And so she was the first author they approached to write the book from this seed. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, right. thank you for entrusting me with your seed. So obviously seed <laughs> and babies like was a big theme. Yeah. And and she looked at the writing of this book. At, she gave herself nine months because mm-hmm. she was in the middle of another project that she put aside to jump on this. Because as she said, when the president of your publishing house says, hey, you don't want to say, like, well, Will you write this book yeah. for us? No, <laughs> no I'm busy. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, she gave herself nine months, and she's really, it was really cute, because I know one of the photos she put on Instagram was her book with, like, a little baby cap on top, and <laughs> it's, a bo- it's a book, and, and her cake said that it's a book. Yeah. So. And I think she said she sent um, socks with sperm on them to her publisher or yeah. something like that, <laughs> yeah. which I thought was Yeah, cute. whatever that design is. I can't think of the design, but it looks like a sperm, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. yeah. That's yeah. really cute. I, I really enjoyed it. And I, and I feel like I've just been, I, I've just discovered a brand new writer for yeah. myself who has a couple books in the past and is working on things coming forward. So. Yeah. 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 Really good event. Really yeah. smart woman. So, so again, that was 
the other F word mm-hmm. by Natasha Friend, right? I thought it was or friend. friend. I think it's friend? friend. Okay, I'm trying to make so. a word more fancy than yeah. it needs to be. Yeah. And then... Then you oh, had another Yeah, one. I went to RJ um, again the next night um, to see Eleanor Lippman, who has a new book out called On Turpentine Lane. Um, she was really sweet. Yeah. She ha- was very soft-spoken. She's in the middle of her book tour. She has a little bit of laryngitis. Mm, I bet. <laughs> and she, this was hilarious. She started out, she said, I'm going to start out by reading. I'm not going to read very much because, you know, we've all been to those events. <laughs> Which I thought was hilarious. Um, And then she did end up reading for quite some time. I was like, wait a minute. You know, but anyway, it was funny. Um, She wrote a book called, uh, I think it was called Then She Found Me, which has been made into a movie, You Can Count on Me. Is that what it's called? Yeah, um, that stars Helen Hunt. And she told a really funny story about how that, um, I think it took 19 years from when it was first optioned to being made. And um, it starred Matthew Broderick and all these different people. So she tells the story of going to the premiere of the, sh- the movie. And uh, there's some story where one of the, I think one of the, the publisher, or publicist, I'm sorry, who gave the manuscript to Helen Hunt was married to someone who worked for Maiden Form, who's, the, you know, the undergarment um, company. And so they went to the premiere and they had all this these undergarments for her as a little gift. But she was like, she had this little purse. <laughs> so she was trying to stuff, like, underwear and bras that they had given to her on plastic hangers. Oh, you my know? So it was that was a really funny story. And, and someone else, I guess she's very well known. She has many books out. Um, and she's very well known for her dialogue. And so someone asked her, do you eavesdrop, you know? And she was like, yes, I do. And then she told us this whole story because she lives in New York and she had come up by train yesterday, you know, of listening to this whole conversation on the train, you know? So I thought that was funny. And I think authors who write a lot of conversation do, you know, they hear Mm -hmm. people's conversations and then it gives them an idea Mm -hmm. for a character or a story or something. So it was packed also. It was very well attended. I think she's, she's very well liked as a writer. So um, that's Eleanor Lippman on Turpentine Lane. And then I also um, watched Wild, the movie Wild. Oh, did you? Have you seen it? I have not. No. Did you read the book? I did not. Okay, it's Wild those, by... Yeah, <laughs> Cheryl Strayed. Cheryl Strayed, yeah. yeah. What were you going to say? Oh, nothing. It was on my radar for a while to read, and then mm-hmm. I just never got to it, and yeah. then, yeah. The book was so much better than the movie. I mean, the movie was fun to watch. It's beautifully filmed, mm-hmm. but um, I, it's a book that I really loved, so... I wasn't disappointed by the movie, but I was glad that it was one of those where it's like, ah, oh, good movie. I'm glad I read the book. Okay. You know? Yeah. And it's funny because Cheryl Strayed, the author, has a little cameo. She uh-huh. actually drops, Reese Witherspoon plays her in the movie, and she is in this big old truck, and she drops her off when she starts her hike on the on the cool. trails, the yeah. Pacific Coast Trail. So I thought that was pretty funny. So I love when authors have a cameo, yeah. cameo yeah. like that. That's yeah. fun. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, my other my Biblio adventure I went on just yesterday. Um, Laura and I took a little trip to discover some little free libraries. Oh, I love that. Is it little free? Yeah, it's little, little free, free libraries. libraries. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we I printed off a couple addresses because you can go on to the little free library website. And uh, for me, the site hasn't been working when I put in the zip code. 
mm. or a town, but if you put in your state oh, okay. or your country even. I just did that for my cousin who lives in Australia. I put in Australia, and it pulled up all the little free libraries that have, at least people have registered to put on there. So, so little free libraries are, maybe you know what they are, maybe you don't, but they're these little, like, houses yeah like two by two yeah yeah that people put out in their Mm. front yard where they put books and you can come and take book put put books in there yeah you know they're like little lending libraries yes yeah take a book leave a book yeah yeah Yeah. and they're they're really adorable some Mm -hmm. of them are custom made Mm -hmm. some of them are from kits and they're really cute. And I know one thing around here, we live in kind of a semi-rural type mm-hmm. area. So people have a group of mailboxes with a little hut built around it. And I, I, I'm like, oh, a little free. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> or I could steal some mail. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, a little free libraries. You can go to their website and, and, you know, see what's in your area. So that's what we did. And I know there, so we went to... Three is what we ended up mm-hmm. visiting, and there were two or three we did not find. So you looked for them. They we were looked on for the them. They we had them. the address. They were nowhere that we could see in the area. I mean, there are a lot more in the area than that, but um, we were on kind of a limited time. But we did uh, Brantford, Niantic, and Clinton. So actually, if we go up the coast, it would be mm-hmm. Brantford, Clinton, Niantic, right. and they were they were all really lovely stocked. I don't think uh, there was like crap books in any of them. Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean by yeah. crap books. Yeah. Um, so I did. I ended up coming home with five new books, right and on. I left nine books behind. So you you brought books with you on the I trip? I did. Yeah, I had a box of books okay. that I had weeded recently from my library, mm-hmm. and I was going to donate them. And then when we decided to do this, so, okay, so Emily mentioned it's my birthday tomorrow, and one thing Laura and I usually do on our birthdays is take a mini day trip doing something, and this week has been just so crazy, and our schedules are kind of not driving very well. So we had a couple hours yesterday to do this. So that was a fun thing. Yeah. So yeah, so I put my box of books that I was going to donate into the car, and then just chose kind of what I thought would be kind of similar, maybe a little mm-hmm. different. So I dropped off like some Stephen King, Ray Bradbury, The English Patient. Oh, and <laughs> Michael Andante. Yeah, Michael Andante. <laughs> and just and some other uh, cool. some books that I thought would be a good fit. So that was really neat. And um, I found one book by Sheridan Lafanu. Oh, how fun. Yeah, which was like, oh, my God, what a huge surprise <laughs> yeah. to, find, to find that. And I think yeah. it's Uncle Silas, I think, is the name, the title mm-hmm. of the book. So I'm looking forward to that. So some of them uh, I've been to, they have like a little notebook inside where you sign your name. Did oh, you see that? I didn't see anything okay. like that. No, yeah. I didn't. That's a neat idea, yeah. though. Yeah, it's kind of cool to kind of see where people come from and yeah. all that. Yeah. I'll have to look for something like that next time because the one in Clinton was really packed. Mm. And that one had a couple like advanced reader copies. So somebody in the area is an author or reviewer of some right. kind. And, and actually some of the books I could tell I think also came from the book barn. Because I know how they mark their books, yeah. <laughs> you know, anyway. But that was really cool. And I had another thought that just went away. Mm-hmm. I hate when that happens. Yeah. It'll come back. Yeah. Well, feel free to return yeah. to that thought yeah. when it r- arrives. So that was a fun thing. And I do, I'd like to have that be kind of a regular thing is to, to yeah. go visit some of these. Oh, I know what I was going to say. I, I've kind of wanted to have a little free library mm. of my own, but where we live now, it's not a very walkable area mm. necessarily, so I'm not sure, but... Where we used to live, it would have been perfect because we lived just a couple blocks from the train. So we could have had one out front for the 
commuters who are walking to and from the train. That would have been kind of fun. You know, maybe we could talk to um, someone, because wouldn't it be fun to put one on the Guilford Green? It would be fun. Yeah. That would be really cool. Like maybe across from Town Hall or something. It would have to be big. I bet people would use it yeah, a lot. Yeah, probably. But that would be, be super fun. Yeah. Because that's so walkable. Or someplace, mm-hmm. you know, around town that um, people might visit. Yeah. I, you know, but some, I mean, the places where I stopped yesterday, none of them, other than Clinton, because that was in downtown, mm-hmm. in a post office square, I think they call it, was a more of a downtown area. And the other mm-hmm. places were pretty much residential yeah they're usually just in people's yards yeah Yeah, but I know what you mean I mean I couldn't obviously couldn't put one anywhere I mean if I put one at the end of my driveway it would cause car accidents if someone stopped so (laughs) oh up there yeah Yeah. I could say at the end of your driveway no one would see it yeah no one one would see it I'd just be it'd just be a point frankly it would just be another shelf that I could buy more books and add you know which is starting to get out of control anyway so I don't need any help with that That's so cool. What a great yeah. idea. I'm glad you did and, that. Well, I'm wondering, too, like, how many libraries are out there that aren't registered? Oh, I bet. You know, just, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, in my old neighborhood in Yellow Springs, there was someone who had one. It was kind of like an old um, refrigerator <laughs> that they converted mm-hmm. and put a new door on it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that wasn't registered. It was just like, a, you know, a nice little lending library. And there were many in my old, small little town. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. I know somebody, I've seen a bunch from the UK that mm. are in the old British phone booths that have been oh, converted into that's free libraries. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah. Packed a lot more into those. Yeah. I mean, it'd be neat to do little, um, I mean, we were talking about this before we started recording that, you know, I've also seen some and visited some that where the books, it wasn't very well protected. And so the books got kind of ruined and. So that's what would be kind of cool about, you know, doing something that's a little walk-in or a little bit just, you know, mm-hmm. a, a building that's a little bit more secure because then the books are in better shape. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and yesterday, the three that I did visit, or the, uh, one of them was in an area that's predominantly shade, mm. and it was a little musty, Yeah, I have to say, compared to the other two that were in direct sunlight yeah. for at least part of the day. Good to know if you decide to do one. So, you know, you can look online because I think they sell the kits. Mm -hmm. So if you feel like you live in a neighborhood where um, it would be really, you know, accessible to a lot of people, if you go to, I think it's freelibrary.org. I believe so. We'll put it in the show notes. You can buy kits Mm -hmm. and um, or some of them are even already put together, I think. And and then you can register is what, what Chris is talking about. And then it's easier for people who want to, you know. Seek them it. out yeah. to find them. I mean, if you're in a neighborhood that has a lot of people and a lot of walkers, you know, trust me, it will be well used. Right. But, you know, without registering it. And there was at least one case where somebody put one up and the town made them take it down. Yes. And there was arguments left and right. And I think in one of those cases, the town made an exception mm-hmm. to have the little free library remain but it had something to do with like a homeowners association home, or not even like. that it was a, it was a town oh, so it was a it was whole town thing about having yeah an ordinance of of selling and having oh. that type of public oh. yeah. yeah and i think if memory serves when i read about that it was a kid too it was a kid who did it who's yeah. like mom was dying of cancer or ill yeah. or something yeah. and it was such a sweet story so yeah. the town they just look like a bunch of assholes for right. doing that yeah. and i think that's why they Made an exception eventually. Sometimes rules are made to be broken. Yes. (laughs) 
Well, shall we talk about upcoming adventures? Yeah. What what you got going on? I have one that's for everyone that I'm excited about, which is on April 4th, 90 art house theaters are going to be showing 1984. It's a national event day screening. Um, so we're going to go. Yeah, April 4th, yeah. totally. Yeah. We're lucky that the Madison Cinema right down the road from us is going to be showing it. They are for sure. Sh- okay, yeah, good. Yeah, um, I think that when I read about it, they said there's going to be 79 cities. So I can't say that everyone can go, but mm-hmm. maybe a lot of people could go watch yeah. it. So this is giving me time to read it, which I'm glad because so, yeah. I have not read it. Or I'm, I'm hoping to get it on audio. So grab a friend if you can. And on April 4th, um, look to see if um, one of the art house theaters near where you live is showing 1984. Excellent. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, me yeah. too. Cool. And then we have a joint jaunt. We're going to go in April. Um, uh, Rhode Island, they have a um, thing called Read It Rhode Island. Mm, right. Which I think yeah. it's like uh, in Ohio it was uh, it was called One Read or yeah. One Book or something like I know that. In Chicago it's One Book, One Sh- Chicago or One Book, One City or something yeah. like that. And they read Brian Stevenson's book, Just Mercy, and he's going to be um, in Providence, Rhode Island on April 8th for a lunch, and we've got tickets to go. Looking forward to that. I just downloaded the audio. Oh, that, so. and I want to tell everybody, get this book, Just Mercy. I, I listen to it on audio. He reads it. He is a fascinating human being. He's doing really good work in the world. He founded um, and is the executive director of Equal Justice Initiative. He's won a MacArthur grant. Um, he's doing really good work with people who are um, on death row who were, how do you say it? They were wrongly, wrongly accused. Yeah. yeah. And his specialty is teenagers mm. and teenagers who are treated as adults and put on death row. And um, he's just doing great work. And he's a compelling person. His story is really interesting. So I highly recommend it. And then I would say if you're interested, if you read or listen to Just Mercy, that a follow-up fiction book that I just happened to read in tandem for one of my book clubs is called The Enchanted, which I know sounds like a Disney movie. and It is not a Disney book. Um, and it's by Renee Denfeld. And um, she's a lawyer. This was a debut novel of hers. And um, she does work with people on death row as well, I think. And it it's it's been touted as a as her writing is a cross between Alice Siebold and Stephen King, mm. and Alice Siebold is the author of The Lovely Bones, and then most of us know who Stephen King is. Yes, and it's just a haunting book that takes place. Um, the characters are death row inmates, and um, I read it. I think I read that one first, and then I read Just Mercy. Mm-hmm. But they're a good in tandem group of books. Uh, yeah, I you yeah. know I read one last year too. I think it was called Stolen Years. Mm. I think I always wanted to call it Stolen Lives, but it's actually Stolen Years. Mm. I'm almost certain. I don't remember who the author is. But it was a a collection of stories, people who are wrongly convicted, mm. and how, how everything went down, like what happened, mm-hmm. how they were prosecuted, sometimes very sloppily. Right. Um, and then, you know, how they eventually got out, and then their lives afterwards, mm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, the guy who wrote it is a reporter in New York. Oh, wow. And uh, it was, I was pretty powerful. It sounds like another good companion. Yeah. Kind of companion book. Yeah. Well, I'm really looking forward to it. And we're going to get to see Michael yes. from Books on the Nightstand. <laughs> Infamy, is that the way to say it? <laughs> and his mother-in-law, Jane, who I love. So it should be a good day. Yeah. I'm looking, looking forward, forward to, to that. It too. Yeah. 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 Cool. 
Well, I'm going tomorrow, not tomorrow, this Saturday, so this will be already passed when you, when this episode goes live, um, to the New York Antiquarian Book Fair. Right on. Looking forward to that. And that is, I did, I did kind of review the website a little bit more. It is an international book fair. They have more than 200 vendors will be there so i'm looking Fun. forward to that enjoy put your walking yeah. shoes on girl yeah, absolutely <laughs> yep and I'd, i'm not taking anything with me i think i'm just gonna have my little around my neck thing that holds my license and a couple bucks and i'm gonna travel light great maybe bring a backpack though because you're uh, not gonna come home light i, I don't know i don't know if i'll be buying anything you know oh, i really? used to collect certain things mm-hmm. and i just don't anymore because mm. i'm just i don't uh I mean, I collect fountain pens, but like when mm-hmm. it comes to books, I've, I used to keep every book I ever read. Mm. And as one of my cousins can attest, when I lived in Reno, like every area, every room was just loaded with books. And I think it was when I moved, I, then I moved to North Carolina, then I moved back to Illinois. And it was through all of those moves that I finally decided to adapt a philosophy of read it and set it free. Mm. So I have gotten rid of most of my books. I have just a fraction of what I used to have at the height. Yeah. And I and I weed pretty regularly. Yeah. But I mean there's certain books that I still keep. Mm-hmm. And but if if I needed to get rid of all of them, I think I'd be okay with that. Yeah, on my move, I definitely had to, you know, go through my books. And, I mean, the thing about books, too, is they're heavy. Mm-hmm. Moving them is oh, hard. Yeah. <laughs> they take up space. <laughs> Did I ever tell you about the thing, when I, uh, the story when I was moving houses when I lived in Nebraska? So my friends were helping move, and I had boxes of books. And whenever I moved, the first thing I would do was to set up my books. You know, mm-hmm. I would put them in alphabetical order by author, fiction, and then I have categories for my nonfiction so what each of my friends did was they each took a book and didn't tell me they snuck it out. They each took one book. <laughs> and then so for weeks, they're like, hey, you know, how are your books? I'm like, well, they're fine. I really haven't gotten to them yet because I was, I was really busy in school and working and whatnot. And uh, finally, one of them was like, oh, my God, Chris, like, put your books up already. Because <laughs> you know? we played and a I joke like, on you. I know. That's what she said. I was like, what is your guys' obsession with all this? And they finally told me. I was like, oh, my God, you guys are so funny. Do you so, think you would have noticed? Yes. You did? Yeah, okay. I would have, based on the okay. books that they took. I, okay. I, at the time, I would have noticed. Now I can't remember what books they were, but mm-hmm. that was that was so That's funny. Hilarious. And that would have been great. Like, we know I... how to mess with her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Take Dracula. See what happens. <laughs> That's funny. hilarious. Yeah. I do I have a couple it. books like from my childhood. Like I have my Dr. Seuss, the ABC Dictionary. Mm. I still have that. I still have this little a, a Disney edition of 101 Dalmatians the first movie edition mm. of that book and mm. like Cruella de Vil I've scratched her face off. <laughs> Bitch. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't part with that. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. I remember my parents got that for me when I was so tiny for like Valentine's Day or something. I still remember that. Wow. Yeah. Well, so. I'm, I'm going to be very anxious to hear about this trip and see if you really come back empty handed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll see. I think there'll be something that tempts you. I don't think you'll come back with bags, but I think something will tempt you. Yeah. You know, yeah. the history buff in you, you know, or the, like, the most unusual, you know, version of Dracula or something, you know, you'll come back with something interesting. All right, well, we'll see. Yeah. yeah. I can't wait to hear about it. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. It'll be yeah. cool. And then we also, um, 
are going to go see, which I think oh, we've yeah. talked about already, but we're going to go to Savoy Bookshop to see Min Jin Lee talk about Pachinko. Pachinko, yes. Yeah. And you had something to talk about. Yeah, about that, that. this is a Westerly connection. Um, so Annie Philbrick, she owns Bank Square Books and Mystic and then the Savoy in Westerly, Rhode Which Island. Which is the sister store. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So And we've talked about uh, both of those bookstores in the past. So Annie Philbrick, we have an article here. She was just named one of the judges for the 2017 National Book Awards. She's going to be one of the fiction judges, which is really exciting. I mean, what a kind of honor to be chosen uh, for that prestigious award, which is, I know a lot of people don't read them necessarily, but I know it is the top literary award in in the United States. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you follow it? I won't say that I follow. I mean, I'm interested to know about mm-hmm. it. I don't follow it per okay. se, but yeah. I'm getting more interested in. I mean, there's so many. Mm-hmm. Like the Baileys is the British one, right? And yeah, that's a and, women's fiction. And I think they're renaming that again. That used to be the Orange Prize, right? And the Baileys, and I think now they're right. looking for a sponsor again. Right, okay. and then there's the tournament of books, which is taking place right now. Yeah, which is cool. Which is, I guess, that's not the same though. That's not really a fiction yeah. That's prize. more of a fan yeah. activity. Yeah. There's the Stella Awards from mm-hmm. Australia, which yeah. are really cool. I kind of follow those. I don't read them necessarily. Mm-hmm. I don't read any awards necessarily. Yeah. But I'm kind of getting more interested in the National Book yeah. Awards. Yeah. And I'm. I think it might be because I'm noticing the names of who the judges are a little bit more and i think that might be interesting to see like each year who the judges are for the different categories and Mm -hmm. and what they come up with when you know them because for fiction it's dave eggers is on the the panel alexander chi valeria lucelli i'm not sure if that's correct uh carolina waldwack while I'm, I'm I'm half Polish, I should know how to pronounce that name. <laughs> and then Jacqueline Woodson, who's oh, been on our podcast. Cool. Well, she hasn't yeah. been, but we've we, talked we've about talked her. About her. Yeah. yeah. So, um, Annie Philbrick is going to be in great company for that. And then in the nonfiction category, uh, Ruth Franklin is going to be one of the judges oh. for that, and she's the one who wrote the, the um, Shirley Jackson, Shirley Jackson biography. biography. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that is looking That's really cool. So when do they give the award? The award, the well, the long list finalists are announced September 12th and 16th, and then the finalists are announced on October 4th. Wow. So yeah. they're probably reading books now. Probably, yeah. Right. I would think so, because it's yeah. tough. I, yeah. I mentioned I've been a judge on two different panels. One was for a, an NPR station in Chicago. They, I don't know if they still do it. They used to do an annual short story contest so I was a judge for them one year and then one year for the Golden Crown Literary Society which is a lesbian an award for lesbian writers Mm -hmm. yeah so so how many books did you have to read for this you know I don't remember how many books it was it might have been like 24 or 30 and it's tough like it's and you don't have much time you don't have much time so it kind of takes over your life yeah and in, in both of those situations um so for the Golden Crown they just sent me a I think two big boxes of books is what came. And then they have um, a form they asked you to fill out for each book, just different categories of what, you know, how you judge a, a literary work. Mm-hmm. And and then for the, the short story competition, that was all done online, I'm pretty sure. So you could download the stories or read them on your computer. 
And then that had a form that you filled out too, a lot of it with multiple choice or mm. different uh, ranges of, mm. you know, from one to 10. And then so what they did with the short stories was they had each story got at least three judges and they would take the average from those three judges. So mm. if somebody hated it, right, somebody right. didn't like it, like there was somebody to average it out a little bit more. That makes sense. Yeah. Do they pay people? Like, no. To the National I, well, Book Awards? Oh, I don't know about that. And this article didn't mention if they got paid. And mm. I should say that the author of this article is Nancy Burns Fasaro, who is the Nancy that we met when Laura was in 12 Angry Women. Oh, Remember yeah, her? Yeah, and then the we reporter. met her again. We yeah, ran into her yeah, again at, at, at the, Nathaniel Philbrick. At Nathaniel Philbrook, and then yeah. also at the grand opening for oh for the Savoy. So That's the Savoy, right. she was yeah. there. So like yeah. we ran in there like three times yeah. in really yeah. uh, short order. And Nancy's also going to be in conversation with the author of Pachinko. Originally, well, it was going to be um, Annie Philbrook was oh, going to be in conversation. Oh, and she's not doing it. She's now. not doing oh, it okay. now because they had to. That's the event. If you remember, listeners, that got rescheduled. Right. Um, so well, maybe now, she's not going to do it now because she's got books to read. Well, right now it makes sense, right? <laughs> yeah. She's probably holed up in her cabin right. somewhere, exactly reading, uh, doing that. So yeah, so Nancy is going to be the one oh, having cool. the conversation. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's fun. So this was a neat, neat, uh, neat article to yeah, come across and to kind of know who's who's uh, going to be picking our national book awards. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, people who know some stuff about books, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah, you know, maybe I'll do a little research and find out a bit more about the process and how they do it. Because yeah. I think I remember one time a couple years ago when people were up in arms about whoever was selected or they didn't select somebody. Do you remember that? Or am I making a story up in my mind? I, that was the Pulitzer, I think. Is that the Pulitzer? Okay. Yeah. When they didn't award a fiction. Yeah. Yeah, okay. that's the Pulitzer. Because they couldn't come to a decision yeah. and they had arguments. So right. <laughs> I imagine maybe if they get down to the top, whatever, then maybe they have face-to-face conversations yeah. or something. But I'll try and find out more about yeah. that because I'm curious now. Yeah, that's cool. Upcoming reads. Yeah. Well, Pachinko. Me too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> By Min Jin Lee. Yeah. yeah. I'm looking forward to that. And I am i don't have much experience with reading about Korea. Mm. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. The only other book that I can recall reading, uh, Korea, is it was titled Blossoms and Bayonets by Jana McBurney Lin and Hai Dong Chai. And that came out in 2012. And I, it was either from a very small press or possibly self-published. Mm. And I love that story. And it was about the Japanese occupation of Korea in the early 40s and mm. just how awful it was. Mm. And I love that book. Um, I, I handed that off to some friends. I don't have it anymore. So, And that was a pretty much a family saga, which is what Pachinko is. Right. So I'm, I'm looking forward to creating more context for myself. Yeah. The only book I've read was for the first Booktopia I went to, which was Adam Johnson's book, The Orphan Master's Son, okay. which ended up winning the Pulitzer. All right. So, yeah. And you rec- do you recommend that one? Um, yeah. I I thought it was, he's an incredible writer. It's a bit of a slog. Is it? Um, okay. Only because it's um, another, you know, it's about someone who's taken in as a prisoner of war and Mm. is that the right way to say i think he was a prisoner of war maybe that's the wrong way to say it actually maybe just kind of a prisoner in his own country but um so there was a lot of brutality but it's an amazing story and he's a fascinating man that adam johnson 
And I've seen him several times now. He won the Dayton Literary Peace Prize, and so I saw him there. And um, he actually was also, when I went to see David Mitchell with some of my Booktopia friends in California, he was the moderator of that session. Or I should say, it wasn't really moderating. He, they were having a conversation. So I've seen Adam Johnson several times, and he's a compelling person. So, yeah. I'll have to add that to my yeah. list. Um, there are, do, do you want to go? Because I, well, I have two books I want to mention, but they're not necessarily going to be read anytime soon. Well, the only other one I wanted to mention was that I did just get a dual. I got the audiobook and the ebook oh, from cool. the library for Lincoln in the Bardo oh, by nice. George Saunders. I've been hearing so. just nothing but amazing things yeah. about that book. And that's the audio that supposedly has 160 narrators or something, so mm. I'm very interested. But it's only six hours, so I'm like, man, that's packing a lot of people in a it short is. period of time. And yeah. I've now had different friends reading it, and I've seen very mixed reviews. So mm. I kind of feel like I'm going to be glad to have the book as well as the audio, mm -hmm. you know, just to kind of go back and forth. And then I'm hoping to read 1984 yeah. by George Orwell cool. before April 4th. April 4th, yeah. or Listen or read to mm -hmm. that, so... So, yeah, that's it oh, for me. Excellent. Well, I came across two books that just caught my eye that are coming out in April. The first is coming out on April 1st, and it's Hemingway Didn't Say That, The Truth Behind Familiar Quotes mm. by Garrison O'Toole. And that I, I looked interesting because I, I always I love quotes. Like, who doesn't love yeah. quotes, you know? But I've seen quotes by people that I know, like, it's taken out of context or it's made backwards or you know so mm -hmm. i i'm looking forward to that and then the other book is um rigor mortis how sloppy science creates worthless cures crushes hope and wastes billions and that's by richard harris april 4th that book comes out wow. and that just sounded really cool i uh, you know just about how so much of the science that's done these days other scientists can't replicate the work and that is like a, you know, that is like a cornerstone of science that if you do a, you know, you do an experiment, you do a study, other sciences, scientists have to be able to recreate it mm -hmm. or else, you know, the findings are faulty. Right. You know, and so much of that is in the news these days. And I know just from the short time I worked at the health food store, so much of the, so many of the articles that come out are based on these little tiny studies mm -hmm. of 200 people, maybe a couple thousand people and reporters get their hands on it. And then they write this article about the, you know, seven great things to do to end cholesterol or right. five things never to eat again. And it's based on these teeny tiny studies. And that, sometimes I think you have to look at who funded the studies yeah, who funded, as well. Yeah. You know, exactly. Yeah. 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 So, um, I'm I'm looking forward to that one. These are probably both books I'd check out of the library, mm -hmm. I think, and give them a look over. So wow, very good. That one has a very compelling title too. It catches yeah. you with the rigor, rigor mortis. mortis. Yeah. Oh, and I just wanted to say to people, I made a little note for myself that if you're on Goodreads and you put something on your to be read list, you can sign up to get alerts for whenever there's a giveaway for that book, okay. which is a fun thing to do. So I've been. I've been putting more books on my to-be-read because of that. Because some of the books, they may not be ones I would necessarily search out and buy because mm -hmm. I have so many books on my TBR <laughs> that I do want to get to. But if I got a free copy, that'd be kind of cool. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. So it does it automatically, you're saying? You might have to sign up. You might have to go into your settings and sign up to get the email alerts for that. I know 
Goodreads has changed a lot the last couple of years since Amazon bought them. Mm-hmm. If you didn't know that, I'm sorry to crush your bubble. But <laughs> And I remember so many people saying that they were going to leave Goodreads when Amazon purchased them. But so far, I don't think a lot of people have because mm-hmm. it is a, Such a, it nice is a good resource. It yeah. really is. Um, but you can look at your settings and you can sign up for different alerts. I know for people who use an e-reader a lot, they have daily e-read deals that you could sign up for. Mm-hmm. But this thing that gives you alerts for a giveaway for a book you've shelved is I think a, a handy thing. Yeah. And even if I don't sign up to enter to win, it just reminds me, oh yeah, that book is coming out. Right. You know, because yeah. like the woman Kostova, I think her name, who wrote The Historian, which is a really big, thick vampire novel that was, I think at the time it came out, it was one of the hugest advances ever given to a writer and it was for her first book. Uh, she has a new novel coming out this fall, I think. Mm. So every now and then, like they keep, I think, running different giveaways. So it just kind of keeps it on my mind right. too, yeah. even if I'm not entering to yeah. win. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, so much of it is knowing when the authors that you enjoy have new books coming out. Yeah. Although anymore, that's freaking me out because oh. I got so much to read. So much to read. Like, so I little have, time. Like, I have 10 <laughs> library books checked out right now. And I'm just like, oh my God, like I'll be lucky to get to one of them. I know. And then I, I feel guilty that they're sitting there. When somebody else could be reading them. Oh, let that one go. But That's like, okay. There's also lots of books on the shelves at the library, yeah. so it's all good. Let it go. <laughs> I'm letting that one go. I'm releasing it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right, everybody. Well, well, happy reading. Happy reading. Thanks, as always, for listening. Yeah, and if you're looking for us, you can find us on Twitter at Book Cougars, Facebook at Book Cougars, if you have anything you want to share, please feel free to email us at bookcougars at gmail.com. And if you're listening to us on iTunes and like to leave a review, we'd appreciate it. It helps other people find us. Thanks, everybody. Happy so, reading, everybody. Bye.